Today's episode is presented by Lodestar, the fee experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lodestar Lending Leaders. I'm joined, uh, I think this is the first time we're having three folks on the podcast, so this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm joined by Bob Ventola, Branch Manager at Draper & Kramer Mortgage, and Tim Schultz, uh, SVP of National Sales, also at Draper & Kramer Mortgage. So we've, I've worked with you both for a while. I know you guys, I think, do some content on your own at Draper & Kramer, uh, so really excited to have you on. Um, thanks so much for, for coming on today and recording. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, Jim, thanks so much for having us. Despite your youthful appearance, you guys have been in the industry uh, for quite some time. Um, so would love to hear, you know, putting into context, not only how you've gotten into the industry, but just how, you know, what we're going through now, how you view it, having been through, you know, quite a lot of these, these ups and downs just over the years. All right, Tim. Go first there, Bob. Oh, you're going to defer to me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you for the kind words there, Jim. Yes, I am. Uh, I've been in the mortgage business since 1984, so this is 38 years and counting, time flies. I uh, kind of stumbled into it, always was good with math. I decided it would be a good time to get in the mortgage business when the prime rate was at 21% and fixed rate mortgages were 15 and a half. I thought, hey, this will be fun. So talk about the highs and the lows. Yes, I've been through a lot of the wars and um, I've seen the pendulum shifts back and forth. Um, I try and tell people when we are going through trying times like now, or we're going through great times, the pendulum never stops in the middle. Yeah. And as long as you can prepare for those kind of markets and know that when times are good, you prepare for when the times aren't so good, you can have a long career in the business. So yeah, that's um, getting towards the end stages of my career at this point, but still kind of going strong. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, uh, my story was kind of similar. Mine's 1988. So Bob, even though you're one or two years younger than I am, you started in <laughs> mortgage business a little bit before I did. Uh, I was actually, I was in the car business and people were beginning to understand invoices and paying less for cars. So we actually were making less money on the cars. And I asked one of the other salesmen, I said, Dude, what, what other businesses are out there that are based on the sale price of, of whatever you're selling? And he said, house. And I said, oh, I should be a real estate agent. He goes, eh, Tim, you're too good with numbers. You, you should sell mortgages. Very similar, like, oh, I got it. And the mortgage is based on I was really good with numbers. And uh, it was a great, great transition. Did really well first couple of years. I love to tell the story of 2007. I'm talking about the ups and downs. And there was quite, there was more than, than, than one or two. But 2007, when we had the crash, I was a newspaper journalist from Westchester, Pennsylvania, very near my office, said, do you mind if I interview you? This was prior to the crash. And I said, sure, no problem. Well, how are things going? I said, well, we're so busy, 60, 70 hours a week, we can't even take all the applications that people are, are looking to do. And that was at the time, if everybody remembers, if you could breathe on a mirror, you could get a mortgage. Anyway, <laughs> stated income, stated assets, it, it didn't matter. The ninja loans, yeah. So everything was great. Everybody's making a lot of movie. They even made the, the, the movie, The Big Short, which came after the market crashed. And sure enough, she comes back a year later. She says, do you mind if I interview you now? I go, sure, no problem. And she goes through it. How are things? Things are really, really bad. I said, my W-2 this year is literally going to be in the single figures. That's how bad it is. Not six figures, single figures. Yeah. And I said, but as Bob and I have been in the business for so many years, I said, 
That's why I drive a Toyota and not a Mercedes, because I expect these pendulums. And that's, I think, where we're at today. We have a market today that Bob, both Bob and I are okay with it. We look at it and go, hey, we've lived through this before. It will come out. Uh, now, the ironic part with mortgages is, is we look at the economy. Bad news is good news for us. Mm. So we look at this recession that isn't existing, that we really all now know it is existing, right. as kind of good news because that recession will drive, it'll stop the inflation, which will then allow interest rates to come back to normality. And that doesn't mean the feds have to lower the interest rates. The market interest rates will drop, which means our mortgage rates will drop. And then we will begin to do some more refinances and then eventually and I don't know when the timing on this will occur, then the real estate market will start to kick back in and we'll start to sell and have more purchases. So again, for Bob and I, we don't look at this as the end of end-alls, even though for some people new in the business, they may look at this and go, gosh, I, you know, I was making a whole lot of money last year. And this year, my income is like depleted 70%, which is true. But as we tell our loan officers, Keep doing the things you need to do. And this is, uh, Jimmy, I'd ask me to, to maybe bring this up. What do you do to, to kind of insulate yourself against markets like this? You have to work your databases. You have to stay in front of people. And I, I told this story to Jim before we got on the call, Bob. I said, I had a gentleman, this again, shows how long I've been in the business, came to our office to train us on sales and mortgages. And he had a flip chart, not a PowerPoint. Not a laser. Hey, we still use flip charts in the office. <laughs> there you go. Old school. 30,000 at the top, 30,000 at the bottom. And he kept banging on the 30,000. He says, what is this person not doing enough times to make that money at the $100,000 a year, guys? And again, that shows you how long ago it was. 100,000 was big income then. And very simple. The answer was, you're not telling enough people enough times what right. you do for a living. And that's still the basis behind our business. Well, and one of the things that's, that's changed now is the ways you tell people about what you're doing, right? Because you're not you know, necessarily you know, advertising in the same way. Now you have social media, you have a lot of other ways of getting out. So what have you seen, especially the younger folks that you manage, the loan officers, what advice do you give them on leveraging these tools that haven't existed for the majority of your career? Well, it's, it's interesting because you know, when we use terms like old school, there might be mentalities and philosophies that are tried and true, but if you're reluctant to embrace not only the technologies that exist now, but understand that this next generation of borrowers, that's the world that they live in. And so if I'm going to be stuck in the mud and think it's so 1985 or 1997 or 2007, then it's going to just pass me right by. So you know, my advice, and, and you had mentioned something Tim and I do, we run a national call for this company called KIPP, which stands for Knowledge is Power. It's a quick, you know, we know that loan officers may not have the longest attention span. So we try and keep it to 15 to 20 minutes once a week and just bring up things that are timely, news you can use, tips of the trade. And, you know, in markets like this, and to Tim's point, is I think what gives loan officers the best chance at longevity and success, which defines success any way you want, whether it's having that nicest car or the boat or the golf club membership or just providing for your family or whatever it is, whatever your definition of success is, financial or otherwise, 
It's you have to be able to know that this business, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. It's just ever evolving Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to adapt. And so when times are slow like this, like Tinson, this isn't just like a cliche or a sound, like a soundbite. I don't ever look at any market as being bad. It's just, what am I doing given that current market condition? Mm-hmm. So if it's slow right now, and what Tim and I preach on the KIP calls, stop whining, go do the things yeah. to set yourself up for when we come out of it, because we always do. So while you're sitting there stewing and hanging your head, or why did I go buy all those expensive toys and now I got to make sure I can afford them, mind your database. Mm-hmm. Go out and do the old, go have face to face and do things that you had no time for yeah. when it was so busy and reestablish some relationships. So it's, and with the technology, yeah, I mean, there's so many toys to play with now. The biggest challenge for a guy like me, which ones can I figure out how to use the fastest to be able to keep? go and and make myself still relevant and productive and let people know, hey, I know you're 24 years old and I could be, you know, sort of a really young grandfather to you at this point, but I'm still, I get it. I can still, I'll text with you. I will you know, email with you if you don't want to chat with me on the phone. So it's it's those kind of things that you have to literally just always be aware of what's available to you and just figure out what are those toys you can play with to keep you at the level you want to be at. That's and really you had mentioned this before about the borrowers changing and the borrowers' needs changing. So how is that, you know, happened now? Not only the way you communicate with borrowers, like what else is different than borrowers' conversations you were having 10, 20, you know, even 30 years ago? There, there's a very unique statistic, which Bob and I, uh, I think it's, it surprised me. I think it surprised you a little bit too, Bob. Uh, somewhere in the millennial, speaking of the younger mm. borrowers. Somewhere in the tune of 80 to 90% of, of those borrowers will search for a mortgage on the internet. Yep. 70-some percent will end up going with the mortgage officer or company that was referred to them by a parent or a close friend. So it's, it's rather a rather unique situation. You need to get your name out there so you're present, but you also need to keep that referral relationships yeah. Um, you need to make them as strong. It would be your database. You really need to work yep. that prior customer database, make sure they know that Bob and Tim are still alive and out there, you know. So you got to get in front of them now. Again, that goes to your point. How do you do that? Right. It's all digital, it's all automated. Yep. Uh, we try to actually do videos, which makes it more personal, but it's an automated video. So you're you're integrating the digital with the personal. So that seems to be one of our strongest ways of doing it. You're getting it out there automated, but it is you. It's a video of you speaking to them personally. So it really, uh, it's a combination of keeping it the old school with the personal relationships and integrating it with the new technologies. And yeah, and just to piggyback off that, Jim, what we're talking about, and it's I remember that article, Tim, when we found it, because you know we subscribe to some of the uh, industry Mortgage Professionals of America, the Scotsman's Guide, whatever that gives us our literally inside information for the mortgage industry. It's all mortgage speak. And when we saw that article the first time, it really, like the light bulb went off for me. I went, okay, see, I'm not an idiot, (laughs) but people are going to want to use, like, like I have kids that are in their mid twenties, right? Tim has older, older kids as well. So I see firsthand from them when they say, hey, dad, I'm thinking about maybe not renting, maybe I should buy 
I'm having a conversation with everybody in his generation, like my son. So like, but I know his first thing is two thumbs and an iPhone to find information. But after they go through that process of, well, the, you know, the internet is my friend, even this new generation, they don't trust everything that they see or hear out there. There's a level of cynicism and, you know, and misinformation and what's fake news or whatever. So what do they do? They go back to their comfort zone too. That's never going to change. Yeah. They're going to talk to one of four people in their world, a friend, a family member, a coworker, or a neighbor, or maybe a realtor if they're that yeah, far down the line. I work with mortgage companies for a living and I went with the mortgage broker my realtor recommended um, when I went this past year and bought a house. I mean, I shopped the heck out of that. I talked to a lot of other people in addition that have found a great product, but that was, you know, what I did. Um, so one thing that, microcosm. And part of it is personality and relationship too. So there yeah. you are in microcosm. You went and researched using all of the technology that was available to you, but what did you end up doing? It went right down to that granular level of the yeah. realtor that you trusted mm-hmm. referring you to a mortgage person that they trusted. And then mm-hmm. the last piece of it is, did Jim bond with that mortgage person to feel a comfort level that you could relate to? Or did you say, oh, this person's an idiot. I don't know what yeah. I was thinking of. They must be getting paid to send out his name. It's all about that, that yeah. last I mean, level. That was a big part of it. I think I also did something that not many borrowers, especially of my generation, do is I got that quote from that loan officer and I sent it to probably at least 10 other mortgage companies, right? Oh, yeah. no, that's nothing new, right, Tim? That's 1985. Is it? I mean, know. I feel like a lot of people never see quotes from other mortgage companies. <laughs> <laughs> never? Not, is that true? Or are you? Very often, yes. Yeah, yeah, figured. Well, I mean, I just feel like a lot of folks I do, there's not a lot of you know, shopping around. And the one, and the people I like said, like, no, go with your, go with what you sent me. That's a lot better than what I could offer you right now. So I, I, that is something that is different as Bob was saying in the old school versus now way back. No, my realtor referred me a client. They didn't talk to anybody else. Yeah. Today you can be pretty sure. Matter of fact, my conversations with my clients are, what have you, who have you talked to? What have they offered you? What products are you, you know, just lay it right out there because 90 some percent of them have already talked to somebody else or are going to talk to somebody else. So this, this reminds me, I got a, a story my wife was telling me, she works at a school and she was work, talking to people kind of about the fact I'm in the mortgage industry and this woman who has master's degree, very educated, says like, yeah, you know, I'm a little nervous to buy a house now with interest rates so high because you're locked into that interest rate for 30 years. Like she didn't even realize that you could necessarily refi um, a 30-year mortgage, right? So do you feel like people know more or less about mortgages than when you started? Mm, uh, well, depending, yeah. I think people know more yeah. on the periphery. I think that people don't know more when you get into the depths of it. In other mm-hmm. words, people are going to see, like there's things that are out there that become yeah. like tried and true when it comes to mortgages, like the, like the overarching umbrella of it. But when you want to get into the nitty gritty of it, and look, even me, things that I'm not, I may know, you know, um, certain things about if I want to, I don't know, renovate part of my house, something that, you know, I want to take out a, a builder's special um, pedestal sink in a powder room and put in a vanity sink. Well, okay, so doesn't seem that complicated. I'm still going to go to YouTube, look at videos, run down to the Lowe's or the Home Depot, talk to somebody there. Once I get into the, well, I kind of get it, but tell me which connections I need so I get the right fitting so I don't have a major plumbing disaster. I think you can relate that mentality that 
anything, including our industry. I kind of know what a mortgage is, but I'm going to talk to this man to find out how it really works and what happens if rates get out in two years. Am I stuck with this thing or can I get out of it? Or so I don't think that part of it's ever really going to change. You know, when I when people call me and they say, "Well, hey Bob, you know, I've had a mortgage before, so you know, I know how this works." My answer is always kind of a smart ass same answer, which is, you know what? I've been to a doctor before, but when I walk out of the doctor's office, nobody hands me a scalpel and says, you can go do brain surgery now. Right. It's, you know, it's like, you know, sort of little things about a lot of things, but you need the subject matter expert when you get into yeah. and really have that need and want to make sure that you're doing the best you can to not screw it up. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of that, Jim. And this is something that that's uh, you would think is pretty basic, and you would think, and, and the examples I'm going to give you are people of knowledge. They're educated people. So I had a person, uh, one of my loan officers was losing a, a loan to another lender because the other lender, I think the rate we were offering was like six and a quarter, and the other lender was offering five and three quarters. When he got to speak with the borrower and got to look at the estimate, he literally, this was quote, he says to the borrower, did you see they're charging you $25,000 in points? Yeah. Or what, what do you mean? Right here, line you know, 802, yep. 25,000 in points, I'm charging you zero. So to the point of the conversation is, is people are pretty, they know a lot, but there's some basic stuff that, you know, when you hear someone something like that, you go, geez, how'd they miss that? Well, I mean, speaking of truisms, like Bob said, too, that interest rate is like something that people love to beat on their chest and brag about, right? Like, this is the interest rate I got. This is what I'm paying right now. This is the deal I got. And to your point, that doesn't necessarily mean you have, you know, the, the best mortgage for you or the best product for your needs or you're paying as little per month as you should. Right, because depending on you know how long that person is going to stay at the home, the life of their loan, that twenty-five grand could be worth it, but it could not too. If if they know they're going to move in two years, I probably would have paid twenty-five grand to get a lower rate. Right. Well, that is a point to 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 take today, with our rates having been in the sevens, now in the sixes. Both Bob and I look at it and say, probably next year they're going to drop into the fours. Matter of fact, Fannie Mae says that. The Federal Reserve thinks that's going to happen. So do you spend a lot of money on points today? Do you buy your rate down today? Bob and I would both recommend our clients to not do that because a refinance looks like a very good opportunity in the near future. Yeah. And I, I mean, for that reason, I got a seven-year arm because I, I was like, I don't have a crystal ball, but I know these rates are going to be all over the place in the next seven years, and I'm going to have an opportunity to refi at a, at a rate I'll feel comfortable with. So, Jim, let me ask you a question about that. Mm-hmm. You ended up with a seven-year arm. Yeah. Was that due in part or, or in whole because of research that you did working with lenders and had like kind of in our industry on the periphery, or did you have a good loan officer who said, tell me your situation? Without having a crystal ball, how long do you see yourself in this house, at a five-year house or a lifetime house? And then let me give you some options and we can come to a conclusion of what the best fit is for you, for your situation right now. I knew I wanted an arm going to that lender um, ahead of time because I think I felt comfortable more so than my peers that interest rates are going to be volatile enough over that time. I have friends who have a master's degree in finance and don't understand how arms work. 
um, oh, and yeah, no, the value of an arm. So I came yeah, and I said, I want an arm. My realtor did recommend the arm product that he had. And just because of his relationship with the local um, bank versus a mortgage broker, he had access to a product that a lot of other folks didn't. Um, there you go. And I knew I wanted over 10% to avoid at least that first PMI you know, cliff. So there were definitely kind of some insider things that I, I knew because of that probably more so than, than other folks. Um, but plenty of, I mean, things that I didn't throughout the process. So it was, it was definitely eye-opening in that regard. Um, and Tim, um, you had mentioned um, kind of the, the interest rates and the fluctuation, and we had even really didn't, we're too nervous to, you know, predict things because by the time this airs, you know, a couple weeks later, everything could be wrong. Everything could kind of get blown up, right? There are a lot of headlines out there, as you all alluded to. <coughs> what types of things do you pay the most attention to in terms of what news bits actually drive our industry and feel like affect your day-to-day? -day? I'm going to give you a bigger view. I, I just say history. Yeah. I, I, I look at the graphs and how things have gone up and down and yeah. where we are today. And if, you know, in answer to it today, what I look at is, is that graph is showing us in recession. Again, if you look at the reality and the numbers, the CPIs and all that fun stuff, yeah. shows us coming into the recession. And if you follow the graph of interest rates for mortgages, you're going to see that following right behind it. Rates going down. So, again, I look at the history of the things that scare me, though, that I think you're kind of alluding to. What happens in Ukraine? What happens if somebody shoots a missile? What happens? Those are the wild cards that... All, all, you know, all bets off. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, that we never knew. That right, and but that's the whole thing. So the more educated, and to me, more now than ever in our industry, where knowledge truly is king, is that, like Tim and I said at the, the beginning of all this, I'm not like a sensationalist headline guy or a you know political guy or whatever. I'm a math guy. And I can look at graphs, I can look at charts, I can look at history. And it, there's a true cause and effect in our business when it comes to when you see this, this, and this happening, then barring that nuclear strike or some nut job attacking another country, this is what most likely is going to happen. Use the old cliche from stock market, past results are not guarantees of future yeah. performance, but you can minimize your risk by playing the odds of what historically has happened and then no one can account for the wild card. But if the wild card comes, what's the, what's the word I use now? Pivot. And you yeah. just, you adapt, but it doesn't change the overall of how our business works. And when people say to me, again, I could be retired if somebody would just pay me a dollar every time somebody says, oh, I heard the Fed raised rates, so how much did your rates go? <laughs> yeah. And I'll say, well, funny thing, I'm not drinking today and I'm not on drugs. The Fed raised today and our rates went down. Because what a lot of people don't understand that our business is when the Fed, quote unquote, some air quotes, raises rates, what they are raising are not right. long-term mortgage rates. The, the impact of their rates affect your adjusted rate loans, your home equity lines of credit, your car financing, all stuff tied to short-term maturities. The bond traders, as I described them, not in an insulting way, but back in my Wells Fargo days, we called them vodka drinking chain smoking maniacs because these guys have their finger on the pulse of, they're acting what they expect the Fed to do three months from now. Yeah. 
So when they say, well, the expectation is the Fed's going to raise 75 basis points, the bond are going, okay, we've already priced all that in. Mm-hmm. So when mortgage rates went up into the sevens, they were ahead of the curve of the Fed raising right. rates to ward off inflation. So now when people say, oh, well, oh my God, no, I have to lock in before the meeting tomorrow because the Fed's going to raise rates. No, Sorry, we're price. not going to lock in because history says as long as they do what the bond market is expecting, rates are going to rally on that news and come down. But so to your point, go, if they raise wow, 75 basis wow. points instead of 50, it would it probably wouldn't yeah, have that. Right. Effect, right? The wild it's card is a perception. Right. 50 and they do 75, then it's Katie Bar that, oh my God, the sky has fallen or vice versa. Yeah. But yeah. when you can kind of educate yourself in our business, like to, literally, that's an old yeah. school thing. Look at a chart. You go back five years, 10 years, 30 years, go back like I did, go back to the inception of what I got in the business and look at the track of rates and look at the data points of right. there's the high, the peak of rates. What was going on then that then caused that to plateau? Mm-hmm. And then when you see the trough at the bottom and he bounces off of that, what then caused that to happen? And you'll find that the pattern repeats itself of what's causing that all the time. Yeah. So um, the last question I have, and you alluded to kind of, you know, the impression I got from you both is don't get too high in the highs or too low in the lows, right, with everything going on. So not only yourself personally throughout the career, but with a lot of the folks you manage, how do you, you know, what advice do you give on like personally staying sane throughout all of this and dealing with all of the changes that have happened over the last few years from, you know, the way we work to what happens in our industry? I had a, a conversation, one of my children's in this business. Mm-hmm. And it's it was kind of a, a little too late late conversation, but he said, "What do I do? What do I, you know, the market's crashing. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? My mortgage. I'm only originating so much." I said, "Do you have enough money to survive till March?" He says, "Yeah." I said, "Then hang in there because it will turn." That's my personal opinion. I said, "It will turn by March," mm-hmm. uh, and that's I've talked to people that same philosophy. You need to keep doing the basics. Yeah. When, and Bob said, when you're not, don't have any mortgages to do, get back, get your name back out there, get your face back out there. Do those basic mortgage 101 things you need to do to get business and continue to do those. You have that same conversation. It's a down market, but again, doesn't scare Bob and I because we probably lived through what, three or four of them. So yeah. at least, at least, come yeah. back. right. And you just try to educate them in what you know personally, what you lived through. And you know, again, don't go out and and and, and buy the hundred fifty thousand dollar boat. Hold off on that, you know, until you have the hundred hundred fifty grand cash you can spend. Then do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it's um the highs and the lows. It, it's a good way to to present it. Is um you know, and when it is slow, I always feel like it's a great time to reconnect with even my old referral partners, older, yeah. long established ones who they're crying the blues because all of a sudden those listings that they had that by the time they print the listing agreement, they had six offers that were over asking price and waiving all the contingencies and now they're back to the real world again. And you have to sort of remind them, hey, you were in this before that happened. You know what, you know the drill. How can I help you now with the stale listings? Because we have programs that can maybe help you move that. It's always about the constructive. We know times are tough right now, but there's no downside. There's always a silver lining to everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, Here's your, here's your random sidebar. Tim will get a chuckle out of this as far as not getting too high or too low. You have history. 
My Eagles are 13 and one right now, but I'm not getting too high because I've seen the lows of what can happen with the Eagles as well. I'm a little too torn ACLs away from a first round wild card loss. So I'm not getting too high right now, but fly, Eagles fly. <laughs> I don't know. After that, I think I'm just going to short the Eagles on the next two games. Well, guys, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on. This was some great perspective, and I think value, very valuable for anyone you know in the industry, no matter how long, and kind of you know struggling with the with the lows right now. Things things certainly change. So I appreciate your time. Thank you. Good being here. Thank you for listening to Lodestar's Lending Leader. Please like, subscribe, and rate us five stars anywhere you get your podcast. I'd like to give a special thank you to the Lodestar team involved in the production of this podcast, including Elena Gardner, Tim Austin, and John Gardner. 